This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined today by Whoscored's Josh Wright and founder of the Premier League panel, Raj. Jonathan's away at AFCON. I presume Martin's doing some form of babysitting, not really sure. So we've mixed it up a little bit after last week's best podcast ever. Last week's podcast was good fun. I don't think I've ever laughed as much in a podcast. So it's a high standard you two are coming into this week. Pressure is up. Josh, I noticed the curtains are closed. That was... they're, they're, they're open, actually. Oh, they're open, so we, we, we will get the window looks that the fans have come to enjoy. I was going to say, give a little, little shout-out to Stephen Grundy for oh, from the God. comments. Maybe one day yeah. I'll give a give the fans what they want and actually have that so they can see out the window themselves. But Yeah, one day. End of the season, maybe. Get, get a little multi-cam going on while I could <laughs> flick between the two. Raj, how are you? Not been on for a while. You okay? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very good. Looking forward to today's show. Let's get straight into it then with Chelsea v Tottenham. Starting with one of the bands of my life, Romelu Lukaku. Planning into top six side this weekend, Josh. A few flat track bully accusations. I'm not sure what that says about my team, Villa, because as I said to you before we came in, we're the only team he ever seems to play and score against. He's got a bad record against Spurs and a bad record against the top six in general. It's strange, isn't it? For someone that scored so many goals for club and country, it does feel a bit harsh to put Lukaku in a bracket of just scoring against the, the lesser lights. But um, his his record against the big six in England in particular is pretty questionable. Um, like I think Lukaku is superb, but sometimes I do feel a bit disappointed in him. I feel like he doesn't make the most of his physical attributes as much as he should. Um, uh, to me personally, there are two scenarios where I think that Lukaku is at his best. And one is when the ball's played into his feet, he's got a defender on his back and he can pin them and spin them, either shoot or... Um, or pass it out wide, as we saw for his first goal against Arsenal at the start of the season. Or I quite like it when he's dribbling into space down that right channel. I used to like when um, Roberto Martinez used to use him out wide on the right occasionally. Um, but we've just not oh, really I like seen that. He just the way he bulldozes his way through defenders. Um, but we've not really seen any of that since the Arsenal game, in particular for Chelsea this season. Um, and yeah, his, his record, as you said, against the big six in general was pretty bad. Uh, all in all, he's got 21 goals in 94 appearances against the big six in his in his career in England. Um, and that's even worse since he's left Everton. It's just two goals in 35 appearances. Uh, at Manchester United, it was really bad. Um, he only scored one goal in 1,747 minutes against the big six. So that's 24 appearances, one goal. Um, and that, Dan James equaled that record it, it, seven minutes into his Manchester United debut. Uh, so yeah, it, ha- it hasn't been great, to be honest. Um, and yeah, and it's Tottenham this weekend, as you said, and he has got one goal in 16 previous appearances against them. So if you're looking for him to get some confidence back, maybe it's not this weekend. Talk about that pin and spin. I'd say it's quite like a basic move that, yes, you can do against Mari, against Arsenal at the start of the season, but it's really going to work against most Premier League centre-halves. That And it, and it hasn't done really, has it? I'll, I'll let Raj go in after this, but I just think that... Um, I just don't think he's really had the opportunity. I don't think... It, Often it just looks like he's in a completely different wavelength to the rest of his Chelsea team teammates. It was picked up on comms a few times against Brighton in midweek. Um, but yeah, he, he doesn't really seem to have had the chance to do that. I think he can do it against the Premier League defenders because he is that strong. Um, but yeah, we just, we've not, just not seen anywhere near enough of him in recent weeks in particular. Raj, what are your observations of Lukaku at Chelsea compared to the Lukaku that we saw absolutely rip it up for Inter? He was so, he was so, so good to watch at Inter. Chelsea aren't good to watch in general at the moment. A real turnaround poorly for them. 
But what what is it that's different? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think oh, I've been really disappointed. I thought he was going to hit it off really coming back to the Premier League. But I think, as you say, there, there are a few differences between Inter and Chelsea. For Inter, one first thing to mention is he was the key man at Inter. Everything was built around him and to suit his game, including the tactics. And you saw that in that interview he gave. He did have a bit of discontent about the tactics not really suiting him as much. I think if you look at Inter, Conti's tactics were heavily based on transitions. Lukaku would often be stationed on the halfway line or slightly ahead of that. And uh, Conti would want all his players to feed him the ball directly. And as Josh said, the pin and spin was brilliant. And also around that, Lukaku often had players around him who could play short combinations of the likes of Lautaro. He was off, he was always in a strike partnership with Lautaro. Lautaro would be there to just have that wall pass that Lukaku could play off him. Um, so it's not too complex what he expected of Lukaku, but everything did go through him. And then the other thing that Josh mentioned, those runs into wide channels. Conti loved hitting that right, right-hand channel with Lukaku running into it from the back. The likes of Bastoni, De Frey, they used to ping that ball into that right-hand channel and Lukaku fed off that and scored a few goals from it in transitions as well. And then even in non-transition kind of situations, Lukaku would often drop off the opposition centre-backs. And again, Conti would focus the ball into him and then play those short combinations. It's nothing too complex again. to the likes of Lautaro, Barella, Eriksen around him. And then the wing-backs would then get involved. Because then those guys, all the defenders would be drawn to Lukaku. That would be space for the wing-backs outside. So I think Chelsea haven't really got those kind of tactical nuances around Lukaku built into their style of play. They're more possession-based philosophy. They, they want to switch play. They want to stretch play. Um, but it's not all focused on into Lukaku and uh, using his strength. So especially when Tuchel's used a one-man attack in a 3-4-3, which has been his most common used formation this season. And it doesn't suit Lukaku's combination play in terms of keeping it simple for him. It expects a lot of him in terms of spinning, playing good little passes into the wing-backs himself. But Lukaku, does, is, that's not his strength. He wants the game simplified for him. And I think that has been a key problem for him. Manchester United found this problem with Lukaku in that Solskjaer in particular used him as a straight-up target man, f- f- pinging balls like from the midriff to his head like in that sort of range. And obviously people know that Lukaku's touch isn't that secure and putting balls into those sort of areas for him, he's just not very strong. So he's in his last season for Manchester United, he was contesting 7.5 aerial duels per 90. Um, that dropped to 3.3 per 90 in Inter's title-winning campaign. And, and this season as well, it's gone back up to 6.2 at Chelsea. So I don't know whether they're, they're just... They're just supplying Lukaku wrong. They're trying to get him to engage in these aerial duels where many people think that he should be really good in the air, but he's generally not that strong outside of the penalty area and holding the ball up in those sort of positions. And the partnerships, the partnership um, factor that uh, Raj spoke about is is so true. Him and uh, Lautaro combined for eight goals in Serie A last season. Lukaku had 11 assists on his own and Lukaku's not got one assist this season. And he's not built up any sort of similar rapport with any Chelsea player. And I don't think he's been helped by... Tuchel likes to rotate those players in and around mm-hmm. him. And I get and I get why he does that because they're a big squad and there's a lot of spinning plates to keep up. Um, and I think it's only, Tuchel's only repeated the same front three in one of Lukaku's last seven starts. So he's not really had that time to to gel with any of the players. And they're obviously also different. Pulisic is nothing like Ziyech. Werner's nothing like Havertz. So the, I think Lukaku, I, I agree he needs to do more, especially in the Man City game when balls were fed to feet, he was pretty poor. But I, I do think there are other factors um, that just aren't really helping him in that respect. Well, let's all do this. What would the best front three be for Lukaku? So we assume Lukaku's there. We're picking him. We're putting him in the team. What other two 
would would you have there with him to, to make him the most effective? I quite like the setup versus Chelsea actually played against Spurs in the sec- uh, first leg of the Carabao Cup. Tuchel slightly changed the formation. It was a 3-5-2 off the ball. So Ziyech dropped in as a wing back, as a right wing back. But then on the ball, it then kind of transformed to the to the 4-2-2-2. So Lukaku then had that partner with him up top. It was Kai Havertz against Spurs. Havertz actually scored in that game. And then behind him, he had Ziyech and Mount as two kind of inside tens. And I think that kind of uh, did kind of play to Lukaku's strengths a bit. Lukaku wasn't fantastic, don't get me wrong. But I, th- I think that setup's quite good because Havertz can take care of that more complex link play, which Lukaku doesn't really thrive at. And then he's still got Mount and Ziyech buzzing around him as well. So I think when Reese James returns, when Ben Chilwell returns, that will kind of facilitate a back four kind of setup on the ball at least. And I think that 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 might be the best uh, tactical system for him. I was going to say Lukaku with uh, Havertz and Mount behind as well. And I think what you just said about the the wing backs not bit Rhys James and Ben Chilwell was so integral to the way that uh, Chelsea transitioned up the pitch and brought their forwards into play. Um, and Marcus Alonso isn't up to the same level as Ben Chilwell. And obviously, there's no real replacement for Rhys James in that right hand side. They've tried with different players, but it's not really not really been as effective. Um, and, I, and I think at the start of the season, we had Lukaku had all the momentum as he came back to Chelsea. Um, it's obviously not turned out to be the romantic move that we were led to believe. Whereas Harry Kane, his opposite number this weekend, all the momentum was against him because he didn't get his move. But this this weekend, as they, as they go into the game, Kane's actually overtaken Lukaku for the first time this season in terms of who scored rating. Um, Kane actually had his best performance in against Leicester since March last year. So... So things are, as you said, um, things are going against Chelsea and things are going in favour of Tottenham. It's interesting you mentioned that Kane factor against Leicester. I think there you see what Kane has over Lukaku, for example. You see that assist for Stevie Bergwijn last night. Lukaku doesn't have that in his locker. He span away from his marker and played a brilliant through ball in behind. Kane can do that kind of more complex link play. Lukaku really doesn't can't do that. He needs to be kept more simplified. His role needs to get more simplified. I actually think Lukaku would have scored a hatful for Spurs last night. That type of game. Kane missed a lot, a lot of chances in, in, in that match. I think Lukaku would have... That's the kind of game that suits him, isn't he? It was almost Kane had the space to run into. And Gado had a, he had a one-on-one that he missed over the way, the headers that he, that he missed as well. I actually think Lukaku would have scored a hatful last night against Leicester. Martin and I actually had this conversation earlier in the week that whether... Um, it, like an entire hypothetical situation, but whether... Tottenham and Chelsea would just do a straight trade for Lukaku and Kane and whether that would suit either side. If you take the feelings and the prices and the age out of consideration, just if you were to put a straight swap in, who would, would like no one would get a bad deal out of that. We didn't that we didn't think. I think Conte would be quite pleased to work with Lukaku again. Yeah. What you've done there though, Josh, is you've completely ruined what I was doing because Martin told me that he wanted that in the script and you didn't. So I was going to pretend that I thought about it on the spot. And prank, prank you, prank, Frankenstein, Frank Sinatra, but I didn't get to do it because you uh, brought it up. I ruined it for me. Ruined a bit of fun. Four D chess from me there. I knew it was coming. Well done, well done. Raj. Do you, what, do, what do you think? Uh, to be fair, Kane's looking good again. Actually, Sakonte might not take that that swap, but would they suit the other team better? Oh, I definitely think so. Spurs already look so dangerous in uh, transition as Conte's into it. You see the three goals against Leicester yesterday. They were scored rapidly after just winning the ball back. And that's mm-hmm. what Conte excels in. And that suits Lukaku on the counter-attack. Um, Kane as well, he looks like he's adapting well to it as well. He, he, he got his goal and assist last night. 
but yeah, I think that swap would actually work out pretty well, to be honest. It's not one that I particularly see happening. That, that's the reason why I didn't. Feels. I wasn't. That's the reason why I wasn't on that same wavelength as having it in the pod. I did say to Martin, I didn't know Josh was the boss. I, I, I wasn't aware of it. I thought Martin was the boss, but I, I didn't know you'd overtaken him, Josh. I think it's just because I'm on the show today. Oh, yeah, but everyone likes it when we swap swap you for Martin. Everyone, everyone <laughs> enjoys that. Great game last night. I don't know if either of you watched, watched the Spurs game or, or watched the Man U game, said, but I watched that Spurs game. Spurs created so much in that first half. So, so many chances. I still can't work out what they're doing. I can't work out if they're good, they're good or not. There's some players in there I'm really unsure of. Emerson Royale at right wing back. Jeez. Mm. He's, he, I've said this before on another podcast. He must have some agent to play for the teams he's played for. I think every every Tottenham game you see that Emerson Royale trends on Twitter and it's never a good thing. And then you also see Barcelona fans perk up and sort of bask in how much money they managed to get for him. So I agree, yeah, I'm not, not, on, yeah. not on board I, with him. They managed to take their, a billion, their billion pound debt to a 900 billion pound debt. <laughs> really didn't <laughs> do help them out that much. <laughs> I mean... I used to think Oreo was a bit of a clown, but I think he might be better than Emerson Royal. Don't get what he offers at all, especially going forward. He just knocks the ball out for a throw in or knocks the ball out for a goal kick. He's, yeah. Sorry, Emerson Royal, if you're watching. I didn't mean to savagely attack you, but it's the way it has gone. What are Spurs lacking, Raj? If they could get any position through the door in January, what, what would position would that be? So, also, you mentioned Royal. Right wing back could be a potential one, but I think they're lacking that uh, creative spark in midfield, to be honest. Lacelso hasn't really hit it off. Conte's given him a few chances now. Even in the in the cup, he didn't look that great. Uh, Tangi and Dombele looks like he might be on his way out. I think I saw something that he might be on uh, PSG, PSG having quite for him on loan. So I think they could do with a body to replace those two, really. Um, the, in that right-sided eight position, obviously, we saw Nico Barella excelled there for Conte. Someone in that position, I think, that would be... Uh, game-changing signing in the top four race. Give me a bet builder, please, Josh. So, we've gone for... Uh, it's three legs, this one. Um, we've got... The first one is Marcus Alonso to be carded. He's already been booked five times this season. Um, Tuchel just can't really rotate him at the moment, so he's beginning to look a little bit leggy. We've gone... So, he's one, one of them to be to be carded. Uh, we were going to have Emerson Royal to be carded, but we think that he might be dropped now after coming off at half-time in, in the well, week. Doherty was definitely more effective than him. Yeah. And I, to be honest, just on Doherty, I'm just a bit surprised that he hasn't... Like his Tottenham <clears> career <throat> has gone so so badly. Didn't get a look in under Mourinho after being signed by Mourinho. Obviously, surprisingly, Nuno didn't fancy him at all when you thought that would yeah. be, be a good, good combination again. Um, and Conte doesn't seem to like him. I think he certainly offers more than Emerson going forward. Um but maybe it's they're just not so sure about the defensive side. Maybe once Romero comes back and that defence is a bit more solid, maybe he'll start playing again if they can't sign another one. But uh, yeah, so it was going to be Emerson Royal, but we've gone for Jaffet Tanganga. Um, he's committing the most fouls per 90 of any centre-back by distance in the Premier League this season. I also play football for his brother's team um, and his brother gets booked a lot. So uh, yeah, so we're going to have him in there. Um, Tell us more about that, please, Josh. I'd like, I'm just moving away from the. I'll finish your bet builder and then I'll come back to that. Okay, so it's Alonso to be carded, Jaffet Tanganga to be carded, and we've gone for Chelsea to score a header. We found the goal scorer market for a particular player quite tough for this one just because Lukaku's obviously out of form and there's only really Kane from Tottenham, but the odds aren't particularly great for that. So we've gone for Chelsea to score a header. They've scored the most headers in the Premier League this season with eight and have scored a header in two of the last three meetings between the two sides. Um, and that's been boosted from 27 to 1 to 35 to 1. So that's Alonso to be carded, Tanganga to be carded, and Chelsea to score a header. Excellent stuff. You play football with Tanganga's brother? I do, yeah. Is he a centre-back? He's a central midfielder. Uh, central midfielder. Lots, lots of energy. Smaller, though. Lots of energy. 
does get booked a lot though so it runs in the family nice lovely stuff well our little tidbits like that thank you very much josh this is of course the william gallas derby josh what's who scored prediction this week uh, we've gone for Chelsea to edge a 1-0 uh, victory. But we think it's it's definitely tighter than it was a few weeks ago. Chelsea yeah. look like they're running out of gas. Yeah, for sure. I've gone for 2-1 to Chelsea, although I actually think Tottenham might win. But it makes, so it makes no sense that I've gone for Chelsea to win 2-1. But they just do what we're saying to beat Spurs. Foreman out the window the other week in the League Cup and Chelsea just looked really astute from nowhere. But then they go back to the league and don't. So that was weird. Raj, you're doing your own predictions, but I believe Jonathan has sent in his own. I don't know how he's done that. Maybe via fax from his hotel room. What's your prediction, Raj? I can't remember what I said earlier, but no. I, I've been convinced by you two on Spurs as well a bit. I think I'm going to go for a one all. I think Kane is he's got five goals and assists in his last five Premier League starts now. So I think he's really informed. So yeah, I'll have one all. Yeah, that could be the one. But to be fair, if you just say you've got every score right, you're only done one set of predictions, so you're not going to overtake me. So I don't really need to worry about what your predictions are. But yeah, do them anyway. All for the crack. We move on now to the just a minute section. Raj, are you familiar with this? Do, do you know what it is? Do you watch the podcast? Yeah, oh, I've watched it. He, right? well, he doesn't watch the podcast. <laughs> that was the fact of a man who has not watched this podcast. Because you don't watch it, I'm definitely going to get my eye on the time and make sure you do only have a minute. <laughs> And I'm, I'm struggling with this game at the moment. Also play a little game where I try and call it a something derby off the top of my head. Straight away, the first one. I can't think of a player that played for both of them teams. I've got nothing. No, he didn't. Whilst you do your pre, your one-minute preview of Watford v Norwich, I'm going to think of a player. So Watford v Norwich, Raj, one minute. Off you go. So not to be cynical about this game, I think this is a battle between two teams who will get relegated. I think, obviously, either one wins will be a huge win. Watford don't have Ismail Assar. Um, I think Emmanuel Dennis might still be out of this one as well. So um, it, it will be a tough ask, but they did get goal a goal from João Pedro in the last game. So if he if he can try and find his scoring boots, that, that might be a threat for Norwich. Um, obviously, they haven't won in seven games now, Watford, and that defence looks like a massive issue. I think Truce de Kong's at Afcon. Kafka wasn't even good in Watford's last Premier League season. I don't know why they've still kept him. Um, but then Norwich also got a win against Everton last week. So and they, but they hadn't won in themselves in a Premier League game before that. And obviously, Rafa Benitez was struggling. So it really is a, t- a battle of two teams that are struggling. I think Watford, um, sorry, Norwich might edge it because they've got Williams, Hanley, Gibson, and Aaron's as the back four compared to Femenia, Kafka, Samir, and Kamara. I think Norwich on the edge in, in, edge in that department. Uh, so yeah, I think Norwich will probably uh, edge it two-one Norwich. I've done exactly the same. I've gone for 2-1 to Norwich. Josh, who scored? We've gone for Watford 2, Norwich 1. Ooh, differential. Did yeah. you come up with a player, Josh? Because I didn't. Yeah. Do you know what this bit reminds That's me of? When one. when you when you let the person go through their preview and you think in the background, I can't stop thinking of 8 out of 10 cats does countdown when like they're all doing their... trying to figure out the words and then there's something random just happening in the background. Yeah, Jimmy Carr. Yeah. yeah. I've got, there's a, I had a few names pop into my head. As soon as I think of Norwich, I think of Rob Green, maybe he played for Watford, but he didn't. So I've got, I've got absolutely nothing. So yeah, failed. That's the first time ever I've not got anything. That's poor. Josh, the big one, Everton v Villa, the Jolie and Lescott derby. This will be the best game on the TV this weekend. Mark my words, this is going to be a really good game at Goodison Park on Saturday lunchtime. But give me just a minute, Josh. Rafa Benitez lasted longer in the job as Everton manager than I expected, but presenting Norwich their first league win since November was the result that finally saw him dismissed. Duncan Ferguson has been put in in caretaker charge for the second time in three years, and Everton will hope for a similar uplift to the performances from his first stint. 
Ferguson ma managed three Premier League games in December 2019 before Carlo Ancelotti took over. He managed a 3-1 win over Chelsea and draws against United and Arsenal. So he can certainly get a tune out of the players. Uh, in the opposite dugout, Steven Gerrard returns to Goodison Park for the first time as manager and can expect a very hostile reception as he did upon return to Old Trafford this month. Um, Philip Coutinho also returns with former Liverpool running through him and Lucas Dean makes the swift trip back to Everton after transferring to uh, Villa just over a week ago. Uh, John McGinn's back from suspension as well, but all eyes will be on the aforementioned trio with ties to Everton. Um, this fixture doesn't obviously lack for talking points, but the simple matter is both teams desperately need three points. Everton have only won one of the last 13 games and Villa are now winless in four. The problem Villa are finding at the moment is stringing together a 90-minute performance. Um, they haven't really been played off the park in those in the last four games that they've failed to win, but it's just a case of being punished by the other teams. Um, but we think that um, we're going to see another 2-1 victory for Villa, as was the case last time. I've gone for 2-2, two -two. Raj. I'll go four. I think I went for one nil Villa. Um, nil Villa, we like it. I'm quite surprised by that stat from Josh Winless and four for Villa. Obviously, mm. those two performances against United were, I thought they were very good performances. So yeah, that that surprised me. Yeah, Villa just gave United a head start last week, didn't they? Quite quite frustrating, but a good yeah. second half turnaround. We got, I'm excited by what I'm saying. Could have done with Benitez just having another week. That, that's pretty frustrating for Villa fans. That, that They'll be annoyed to take on a Duncan Ferguson Everton instead of a Rafa Benitez Everton. Raj, your next game is Brentford v Wolves. Once again, I'm coming up short at the moment. So whilst you do your talk, I will have a think. Three straight wins for Wolves now. So they're in brilliant form. Um, defensively, I think Lager's got them set up really solid. Uh, I think what he focuses on is diverting attacking players away from areas which are of good opportunity. So he doesn't mind the opposition team taking long-range strikes, but as long as they're not penetrating those areas in behind or in, in the box, he, he's all right with that. Um, so Brentford certainly had, did have some good defensive strengths earlier in the season with their 3-5-2, um, but they've been quite individually sloppy in the last two games against Liverpool and Man United. The likes of Ethan Pinnock have made uh, several individual errors. Uh, the similarity between both teams are probably that they do lack a prolific scorer. And that's quite surprising because Ivan Tony and Raul Jimenez in previous seasons have scored a hatful of goals. But this season, those two really haven't had their scoring boots on. I think they've had four Premier League goals each. Um, but both are still exhibiting good general play. Link-up's been good. Tony is a beast in the air. Jimenez similarly hasn't had that same effect after his skull injury. But I think this could be a, a game of very few goals because of those two defensive, defensively sound structures and also the lack of prolific scorers. So I went for a 1-0 away win for Wolves. I've gone for 1-1. Josh? We've also backed Raj's pr um, prediction, 1-0 Wolves. Did you come up with a player? I had a few floating in my mind, but I'm not convinced by any of them. Marcus Gale was one, but I'm really not sure he played for... Played for Wolves, I don't think he did. Then Carl Court popped into my head, but I don't think he played for Brentford. So, yeah. Not Chris Iwalumo, maybe? Chris Iwalumo. They were, throwing, were throwing around some old-school target men, but I'm not convinced that either of, any of them played for, played for both teams. Again, I'm going to have to admit failure. I need to come back stronger next week. That's two bad weeks in a row. Leeds v Newcastle, I do have one. It's the David Batty derby. Off you go, Josh. Leeds welcome back Pascal Sturrock and Rodrigo from injury in last week's impressive 3-2 win over West Ham. But again, it came at a cost with Adam Forshaw and Junior Firpo both coming off injured. There was still no sign of Patrick Bamford last weekend, but their wide players really stepped up in his absence. Jack Harrison obviously scored a hat-trick and Rafinha was just class again. Um, squad depth is still a massive issue for Leeds at the moment and they could still be without nine first-team players here. 
Newcastle followed up their embarrassing FA Cup exit to Cambridge with a one-all draw with Watford last weekend. Eddie Howe's side had to settle for a share of the points after conceding the 87th minute. Chris Wood didn't even uh, hit the target on debut for Newcastle. Um, and Howe's side are frantically still trying to work their magic in the transfer window. For all of Leeds' struggles this season, they have surprisingly only lost three home games this season. Uh, those defeats were against Liverpool, West Ham and Arsenal. So pretty strong on the whole against most of the other teams. Newcastle, meanwhile, win, uh, haven't won away from home all season. Um, and we're back in a 2-1 win for Leeds. I've gone for 3-1 to Leeds. Raj? I will go for 2-1 Leeds. Uh, next up for you, Raj, is Southampton v City. And I've got one. The best backup goalkeeper of all time. Been backup goalkeeper for so many teams. It's the Stuart Taylor Darby. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't think of him. Uh, so, Man City's last two performances versus Arsenal and Chelsea haven't been at their best, really. So, that will give some sign of optimism, at least. I think Arsenal were the better team against City until the Xhaka red card. Um, Chelsea had better openings until the KDB wonder strike. So, maybe there's a chink, a chink of light for Saints. Uh, sorry, it was a Gabriel red card, by the way. I made a mistake on that one. Shall I start that again? No, that's not how the just a minute section works. You corrected <laughs> your mistake. You can carry on, but the time is still ticking. <laughs> so I've had to have interestingly switched to a 3 5 2 recently. The Bednarek Lianko Salasu back three has been quite inconsistent. I think that will come because of his, because of their youthfulness and inexperience. But they did concede one only against a 10 man Spurs. Uh, ten, they conceded one with 10 men against Spurs, but they then went on to concede three against Wolves. So that inconsistency is there. I think that's really the nature of what Hassan Hootel is working with. He's got quite a young crop of footballers and not many, gen, not much genuine quality. Um, Livermento's out of the game, so that's a big blow. But I think Broher versus Laporte will be an interesting battle. If there's one thing Laporte might have a slight weakness against is a physical threat in the air, especially. Um, but I think the constant carousel of movement City have in that front five will be too much for that Southampton back three. So I think it will be a comfortable Man City win, 2-0. Yep, I've gone for 2-0 as well. Josh? 3-1 Man City. 3-1 Man City. I'm struggling again. Arsenal v Burnley. I've got in my head Henry Lansbury played for both. And I obviously Ooh. definitely know he played for Arsenal. I've got a feeling he played for Burnley as well. Maybe. So I'll go with a tentative Henry Lansbury derby for now. I'll Google it. And I'll try and come up with someone else if it's wrong. Off you go, Josh. <laughs> Who even knows if this game will go ahead? Arsenal may decide to loan out a few more players and Burnley have already had five matches <laughs> just behind this season. Uh, the Carabao Cup semi-final is go has gone ahead. Um, so that's good from that pers from our perspective. Ghana's premature elim elimination from AFCON will also see Thomas Party back earlier than expected, but perhaps not in time for this game. Granite Xhaka completes a two-match ban, so he's, so he's also out. So Arsenal will still be short in central midfield. Uh, Sean Dyche, who is firmly against the five-substitute rule, may regret that stance when Burnley now have to fit in 21 games between now and May, having also sold Chris Wood with no replacement in sight and Maxwell Cornet still at AFCON. Burnley didn't even have 11 first-team players available to train at the start of the week, so God knows who's available this weekend. Um, perhaps it's no surprise Granite Jackal was actually sent off in this fixture last season as Burnley won 1-0. Abamyang scored an own goal as the decisive goal in that fixture. Two players Arsenal fans probably don't want to see again. Um, recent meetings between the two teams have actually been quite tight, with no team managing more than one goal in any of the last four. Uh, Burnley have only won once all season in the Premier League, so we're going to go for a narrow 1-0 Arsenal win. Uh, I have gone for Arsenal to win 2-0. Raj? Yeah, I've gone for a 2-1 Arsenal win. And Henry George Lansbury did not play for Burnley. So I don't have anyone. I've come up with a few people and they've all been wrong. It's quite I'm really a... having a whiff of this week. Palace v Liverpool for you, Raj. 
Christian Benteke derby. Yeah. I've had to, or the or the the Mohamed Saka. Mohamed Saka. Mohamed Saka. Jeez. Honestly, get in the bin, Daniel. So, one thing to bear in mind before this game is that Liverpool have a possibly very intense cup tie, which happens tonight as we record. Uh, I've been very surprised at how quickly Vieira has been able to stamp his fingerprints on this Palace side, completely changed the philosophy from Hodgson's more direct long ball approach to a more possession-based short-passing game. Uh, this is Liverpool's last Premier League game without the AFCON trio. They've been searching solutions to find goals without Mane and Salah. And I think Klopp settled on a Jota, Firmino, Oxlade-Chamberlain front three in the last game, Premier League game. But Oxlade-Chamberlain might be out of this one too. So it'll be interesting to see if he goes for Minamino or the young K Gordon, who would be a more direct replacement uh, for Salah or Oxlade-Chamberlain. So the Arsenal game tonight will probably inform Klopp more of his selection for the weekend. I think one thing to keep an eye on in this game is Conor Gallagher. He's been in great form, scored in the last game. Uh, and then also, I think Liverpool have had struggles picking up midfield runners this season and Gallagher is one guy you can't afford to not mark so I could probably see a Conor Gallagher goal happening in this game but I think Liverpool might just have enough uh, probably go for a 2-1 Liverpool win Exactly the same as me again I've gone for 2-1 to Liverpool as well Josh, who scored? Uh, 3-1 Liverpool but I like that shout about Gallagher and uh, his late runs Yeah yeah, I mean, he feels like he's always on the score sheet so far this season. Gallagher, every time I watch Palace, he seems to score. Final game then, Josh, in the just a minute section is Leicester v Brighton. And you're going to be absolutely shocked to learn. I've got no one for that either. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers is going to have to try and pick his players up after Wednesday's remarkable collapse against Tottenham. They have incredibly now lost more Premier League home games than Newcastle since the start of last season. And they are expected to be without 10 players again this weekend. The only real positive from midweek was James Justin's return after nearly a year out injured. And he might even be required from the start here after Luke Thomas took a few knocks. Uh, Daniel Marty will be back like uh, Thomas Party after Ghana were knocked out of AFCON, but probably not in time for this game. Um, I find match previews impossible for Brighton. Uh, Graham Potter doesn't just change formation, but he changes his selection pretty much every week. But they're a joy to watch and with each passing week seem to be making your pre-season prediction look a bit silly then. <laughs> No need. With, with no disrespect intended to Brighton, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with Graham Potter in his career. Um, it's pretty impressive that uh, Brighton um, averaged uh, the fourth most possession in the Premier League this season for, for what he's working with. Um, I think if they, he just had better players, then there wouldn't be such a um, they wouldn't be such draw specialists. Um, they often make hard work of it, and I can see that being the case here in a, another one-all draw. Same for me, one-all. Leicester can't defend, but it feels like. Brighton will just miss a hatful of chances in that game because that's what Brighton tend to do. Raj, what have you gone for? I've gone for a 1-0 uh, Brighton win. I think I was really uh, excited about Brighton's performance against Chelsea, actually. I think they dominated that second half, especially Tarek Lamptey had Marcus Alonso on toast. So, yeah, I'll go for a Brighton win. I still haven't thought of a player. I'm, I've got I'm one. Right. Le Leonardo, got one? Yeah, Leonardo Ojoa. Ojoa, yes. Oh, Excellent. Well done, Raj. That's an unbelievable shout. I don't know what's happened. I'm literally just firing blanks all over the place. I couldn't I just couldn't think of anyone. Really, really poor. Let's get away from that section as quickly as possible and catch up with Sam Boswell from BetVictor. Sam, welcome. Always good to talk to you. Let's kick it off by talking about the top four odds, the movers and shakers. How's it looking now? For me, it's in the Bardell book of favourites. I think Spurs are now the favourites for top four. We're not even offering a price on City, as you can imagine. Liverpool yeah. hunted one on, Chelsea won 16. So let's take them out of the equation. Let's talk about where the value potentially lies. Arsenal and Spurs joint uh, at 11 to 8 to make the top four. Man United 
two to one, such a strange game against Brentford the other evening. Uh, and West Ham, who I think every neutrals kind of shout to try and break the, the, the big four, the power four, if you like, 10 to one at the moment. Uh, an interesting market, obviously, West Ham significant shortness. Uh, Spurs under Conte, that game against Leicester, I think is going to have people feeling fairly confident about their chances. I'm, I'm indifferent on Arsenal. I think I'd rather be a Spurs backer than an Arsenal backer, which seems a little bit strange considering uh, coming up, Spurs have to face that tough game against Chelsea. Let's talk about that game then. Chelsea versus Tottenham, the big one, Super Sunday. What's going on on Bet Victor there? What, what do you like the look of? Well, Spurs are a massive price to get the win, 17 to 4, the draw 27 to 10, Chelsea the home side 13 to 20. Uh, I think something like eight out of the last 10 games in all competitions have gone Chelsea's way, just the one draw. And Spurs with a solitary victory in the last 10. Now, obviously, things have changed. A lot of a lot of the players have changed. Management have changed. They've had the cup games recently. I personally wouldn't want to read too much into them. Uh, boosted stuff to keep a lookout for, I think. Harry Kane obviously seemed to come to life midweek. He seems to be back uh, in some form of form. He's 18 to 1 to score two or more boosted from 14 to 1. Pulisic, any time for Chelsea, has been boosted to 27 to 10. Uh, Chelsea to win both teams to score 11 to 4 if you think the Blues are going to continue to concede but also manage to get the points. Loads of various markets in there. This game traditionally in my head is one that's always ripe for a card booking or two. Obviously, pretty topical with some of the news this week. Uh, but like I say, wide range of markets out there for this game. Really, really excited for it. I think it should be an absolute cracker. And Dan, do you think Conte could potentially just cause a bit of an upset at the bridge? I do, because I think Ooh. the trajectory of Spurs at the moment and the team spirit is going this way. I yeah. I, I, Chelsea's I, going that way a little bit. At the prices, you know, maybe it's because I work for a bookmaker. I definitely think Spurs are a little bit overpriced. Uh, you'll find as well on our stats markets, if you want to have a go at your shots on target betting, or anything like that. We've got various individuals and teams priced up. Harry Kane, a very short price. You can imagine to get plenty of shots on target. Uh, shots outside the box, when I sort of uh, seem to be enjoying a little bit of. And the assist markets there as well. Of course, Chelsea playing such an interesting system. Uh, Mason Mount 13-5 to to get an assist. Could be a big game for him. I think he needs to find a little bit of form for me. Yeah, Rudiger to be booked is my absolute banker going into that game. Sam, as ever, always a pleasure to talk to you and I'll speak to you again next week. Yeah, look forward to catching up at the next show. And as ever, we'd encourage everyone to continue to gamble responsibly and enjoy a brilliant, hopefully full fixture list of the Premier League. All right, then the Paul Ince derby, Manchester United against West Ham. Raj, I believe you've got some observation about Manchester United's tactics under Ralph Ranić, what's worked and what hasn't. So please enlighten us. So it's interesting, isn't it? Ranić, he obviously he came in in that press conference and said, we want to increase the energy of the players. We want to play this high-pressing system. We want, we want the fans to get excited off their seats. And it didn't really work out like that at the start, especially, I think, he went for this 4-2-2-2 formation. Uh, I just don't think Man United have had the personnel to implement what Ranić wants. That high-pressing system, he's played Cavani, he's played Ronaldo in there. They can do it on occasions, but they've definitely not been able to sustain that, that what Ranić wants from the defending from the front for, whole, for the whole 90 minutes. And those inside number 10 roles behind the two strikers, Sancho and Bruno have often occupied them, Greenwood as well. They seem very confused about what they need from that position. Do they need to find space in between the lines? Do they need to provide width? Um, it's not been clear, I don't think. And they're not really natural in those roles, I don't think. Uh, and I think the emphasis in this system is for the fullbacks to provide width. And I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka, obviously, is not his greatest strength. Luke Shaw has had some fitness issues and also hasn't been in the best form. So I think that's also hampered 
uh, what Ranić's been able to do. Um, and then even with the pressing itself, I think Sancho and Bruno in those inside 10 positions have been asked to occupy narrow positions in the press. And I think you saw Bruno Lager completely obliterate that by just lofting balls over the top of them to the wing-backs. I think he elaborated on that in his interview after the game. But So I think the, the whole system off the ball hasn't worked and on the ball there have been those issues I mentioned too. I think recently there has been a bit of optimism. I think Ranić now switched to this 4-3-3. I think it's just simplified everyone's games for them. I think you've had uh, the midfield free which has plugged those gaps in the middle of the pitch. I think they were particularly evident against Villa in the cup tie, especially. Um, Bruno and Fred in those box-to-box number eight roles with McTominay holding. I think there's a lot more emphasis on the vertical running of Fred and Bruno rather being, than being asked, asking someone like Fred, who hasn't got great positional discipline to track all the way across the pitch. So I think there's some optimism there. I think um, also with Alanga coming in in the last couple of games, he's just got a real simple game, but he likes running in behind. He's got a good movement in behind. And that's added a bit more balance to the United side. Um, and then I think Bruno also looked really good in that left-sided eight role against Brentford. I think it was good to see that combination play with Ronaldo. Ronaldo holding it up, flicking it on to Bruno, running in behind down that <clears> left-sided <throat> left channel. And United need more of those kind of partnerships developing if they want to get in the top four race and want to finish in the uh, fourth position. So, yeah, a bit of optimism uh, after those very early struggles. Yeah, three academy graduates scoring for Manchester United last night as well. You know, Thomas Frank was complaining about how much the Manchester United team cost, but the front three, the ones who scored the goals, didn't cost a single penny. I think that's um, the only thing that Manchester United can say that they've done well over since Ferguson left is that everything's been pretty much a mess on the pitch and off it really. But the one thing that's been a constant is the the flow of players from the academy. That's the that's all that seems to be going right. But yeah, just as, as Raj said that Manchester United, Ralph, well, when Ralph Rangnick came in, his his buzzword was control. He wanted Manchester United to be in, in control of the games more, but he's just simply not been able to do that. Across his nine matches, um, Manchester United have had 121 shots and their opponents have had 122. So they're just, they're just not... They're having control in, in patches, but elsewhere it's just it's pretty it's a shambles really. And the players in the last two games it's been or in parts of the last two games it's been better, but other than that it just doesn't look like the players are receptive to what Rangnick wants them to do at all. Um, and my biggest concern was before Rangnick took over, and I've said it on this podcast before that he was he's joined the club trying to transform a way of playing from one end of the spectrum to the other um, with players with a totally unbalanced squad and with players who just aren't really suitable to that way of playing, as Ryan said. Um, and he also he took over in December after the international break when it's pretty much the worst month that you can try and do make any sort of changes. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the positives have come in the last two games, but before that it was pretty bleak. You know, what I think I don't know players are tactically stupid. Name me a player at Manchester United who'd say he's good tactically. You get he understands the game well. I don't think there is one. I, I, it's, I couldn't really, to be honest. I just think that this the. Uh, I just think that there's such an attitude problem in the Manchester United dressing room. I think play when when it started with the four-two-two formation, there was so much pressure put on McTominay and Fred because the four in front of them just, as Raj said, didn't know what to do and weren't really trying. Well, I imagine they were trying, but they just weren't carrying out any any sort of tasks well. So that left McTominay and Fred at the base midfield doing way more than they needed to be doing, and that obviously put even more pressure on the defence, which is already already fragile. Um, so it's good that he's been that formation because it just wasn't working. But yeah, I agree. And and pe- like with players like Cavani, he hasn't really offered that much in the last few games because all he's been doing is running around. I think uh, 
he ranks around the top for um, distance covered or forwards of players like Roberto Firmino. But if players like Greenwood and Rashford aren't following him behind, then it's just all pointless for him. And he, lo- he just looks tired when it eventually does come to him. So, yeah, I agree. I, there aren't many players that you could say they look tactically on you it. You just need, need someone in there. Let's say Jordan Henderson play for Manchester United. I feel like he'd be organising them and getting and getting a bit more out, out of them as the captain on the, on the pitch, perhaps. But like yeah. Maguire, for example, I don't think he's tactically that brilliant. And so you say about the attitude, it's almost a, I find there's a borderline arrogance with some of the Manchester United players. And that's the thing, like you need arrogance in the squad, but I think but not in the right way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. You obviously like Liverpool and Man City have an arrogance because. They, they've earned that arrogance because of what they've done. Liverpool have won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League. Man City have dominated the Premier League. They have that arrogance because people go there and they're like, oh, God, we're, we've got no chance here. But with Manchester United, it's, it feels like the arrogance is, oh, I play for Manchester United, so the history of this club means that we're just great and we don't have to do anything. And it's just completely not the case. And as you said, like with Henderson as a captain, he, he is always barking orders to people and he's very vocal. And I think it was really interesting last night that when Harry Maguire came off the bench... He went up to Bruno Fernandes to pass him a note, probably written by Maguire with a few choice words, and because he, he didn't take the armband off him, which is bizarre. He's the club captain, and he came on the pitch and didn't take the armband. So I don't know whether that's gonna, that's something that is going to happen in the future with him being because people have said that he's not a captain material. He's just I don't he's, think he is. he's just a centre back. So naturally, you think, oh, he must be. Must be a, he's a big lad, given the captain's armband. But yeah, I agree. I don't think he's captain material, and for him not to have taken the armband when he came off the off the bench last night, I think is quite significant. He might be captain. Let's say he was still at Leicester. Might be a captain of Leicester and be all right there. I just don't think he's a Manchester United captain. No. I mean, I, I know Roy Keane must fair now. It's quite satisfying digging people out, just sitting there having a go at people. That's, that's basically what I've what I've just done for the last five minutes. Gone, I've got a big Roy Keane. I always find that when like results don't go their way and Maguire like comes out and speaks to the. The pre- I always feel like his answers are forced. Like he's saying just media training. Yeah, he's saying what he thinks he should be saying rather yeah. than what like yeah. fans want to hear. Or I like, just want a bit of honesty. He's like, oh yeah, with Manchester United, this isn't good enough. Blah blah blah. But Luke like, Shaw comes out and says more when Man- yeah. things go badly at Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree, I agree with that as well. Oh, there we go. Attacking Manchester United section over. We have a combined eleven, Josh. What's the formation to begin with? Uh, it's a three. Sorry, it's a four three one two. Four three one two. So what we're going to do? So there, a bit of a diamond. Is it all? Is it all over the course of the whole season? I presume. Yeah, so all the whole season. So what we're going to do is you're, we're going to go position by position, and Raj and myself are going to guess. Okay. Martin's not here to boss me around. I know you're the real boss, but mine's not here to boss me around this week. <laughs> so we're going to do it that way. So I'm going to go David De Gea as my choice in goal, Raj. Yeah, De Gea definitely he's been phenomenal as in terms of shot stopping. Obviously, he's still got those deficiencies in terms of coming off his line yes. distribution, but shot stopping has been fantastic. Yeah, he's in goal. He's made the most saves in the Premier League this season, which is not great as a Manchester if you're Manchester United. Uh, no. He's actually only made 19 fewer saves than Edison has over the last two seasons. So he's wow. been worked quite a lot. Um, so yeah, incredible stuff. De Gea is our goalkeeper. Fabianski is actually second for saves in the Premier League this season. So these two could be quite busy on. Saturday, yeah. but yeah, the hair is in goal. Right back, Raj, who do you reckon's got in at right back? I'm going to go for this is a t- tough one, actually. I'll go for Soufal, but I don't think he's actually played every game either. I'm going to go for Dallow. I reckon Dallow's overall range the highest. Both wrong. We've got Ben, we've got ben Johnson. Mm, he was going to be my left back. Ooh. I was going to pull him at left back. Okay. I think it's interesting, though. There are, I don't think there's much between the, all of the right backs, I think they all have their strengths, but yeah, there's just players that have come on for substitute appearances and stuff. 
So, yeah, there's not really been one nailed on right back for either side this season. Right, so I know the left back definitely isn't Ben Johnson, who I was going to go with. Uh, Creswell, has he played enough? I'll go Creswell, but I'm not convinced by it, Raj. Yeah, I reckon it is Creswell. He's had a pretty solid season. It is not. He's second by 0.02 rating points, I believe, to Alex Tellers, who has been, who's got one of um, United's best ratings under Rangnick. So, so yeah, it is tight in there. It's 0.02 rating points between them. I should say to Raj, as we know he doesn't watch the podcast, usually injured players aren't included. Is that, is that the case this week? Uh, it, it depends, because there's players in there who are meant to be oh, back this weekend. Okay, fine. Okay. Centre-back pairing, Raj. Have a go at, at guessing that. Let's go for Lindelof as one of them. I thought he's been all right this season. He's been better better than usual, I'd say. Uh, and the other one, I've not been that impressed with Varane or Maguire. So, let's go for... A West Ham centre back, Kurt Zuma. I'll go the same. I'll just go the same as Raj. It's so Kurt Zuma is one of them, um, yeah. and the other one is is Raphael Varane, who I agree with Raj in that I don't think he's been squeaky clean in in, a, in all of his instances. But I do think Matt, from a Manchester United fan's perspective, we have seen him. His positional sense in most instances has been like refreshing compared to some of the other defenders we've had down the years. I think he's usually in the right place at the right time, and he's usually very calm when he's isolated in those in usually quite sketchy situations. But yeah, I do agree that there are, he hasn't been squeaky clean this season. Okay, so midfield three. You know what? I'm going to go Rice, Fred, McTominay. W- would Bruno obviously classify as a midfielder in this case? Yeah. He's a 10, isn't it? I was yeah. assuming he might be yeah. in contention for the 10 slot. Yeah, so yeah, okay, Fernandez fine, is yeah. the one behind the striker. Right. Um, so let's go for Rice, Fred and... It's got to be McTominay, hasn't it? He's had a few goals recently as well. Yeah, it's got to be McTominay. You both got two of them right, but it's not McTominay. It's Thomas Suchek, so it's Rice, Suchek and Fred. And I actually think Fred would do quite well in that midfield because he wouldn't have to do as much defending. Yeah. Suchek, because he scored so many goals last season, because Rice seems to be the one that gets further forward now. The goals have dried yeah. up, so you just don't, you don't think about him yeah. as much. But he's still, McTom- still very, very McTominay, consistent. McTominay's probably scored more than Suchek this season, isn't he? Probably. Yeah, you're probably right. He probably has. I haven't got the stats to hand, but yeah, that, that's probably correct. The number 10 then. I'm going to go wild card here. He's not a number 10, but I feel like he has to be in the team. I'm just going to put Bo in there, Raj. Oh, you don't shake your head before he guesses, because now he knows I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for... I'm gonna, I, I've not obviously been impressed with him, either, but I'm going to go with Bruno. Yeah, it is Fernandez. Is it? I'd have said yeah. four hours has been better than Fernandez through, through the season. But recently, yeah. Bruno's picked up a few, I guess. I would say Fernandez hasn't been at his best, but he's still got over 10 goal involvements this season, so... Mm, OK. Yeah. So, Jared Bowen's not in the best 11? He is. It's oh, a bit sneak. He's in, he is one of the strikers. Oh, my days. But I, he has played there this season for West Ham. I, think, I do think his finishing position after he makes his runs is inside right central sort of positions from mm. flick-ons and stuff. But you could say that about anything. If a centre-back scores from a corner, you can say, oh, he's in the box, so he's a striker. <laughs> <laughs> that works, that works in, any, in any way. <laughs> Raj, who do you think the other striker is next to Bowen then? Cristiano, obviously not at his best this season, but let's go for... Mikel Antonio. I'm just going to go Ronaldo for a laugh. Yeah, it's not. What's it's out the window? Antonio. What's out the window? What's out the window? Uh, so a dog walk has just gone, come out there. A dog that plays if my dog has gone outside. Oh, okay. Is you don't you you don't you going to send your dog out to play? No, he's not in. So thankfully, I'm going to be parking. Okay, fine. Is that sorry? Who was it? I'm more interested by the window. Who's it? Who was it? Uh, Jared Bowen and Mikel Antonio up front. Was Ronaldo anywhere near? Uh, he wasn't there. No. What was the ratio? 
to Manchester United West Ham players there? So there's one, two, three, four, four. There's six West Ham, five United, which I think you would say West Ham have been more impressive than United this season. So. I would say that. I would, I would go completely along <laughs> with that. We've just talked about him a little bit. Where's Jared Bowen in, in the form rankings, Josh? Uh, so I'll just run through the 10 from so from 10 to 1. So it's Lacazette in 10, James Madison's 9, Scott McTominay, who didn't make the combined 11, he's, he's in 8. Um, Joseph Saar, the Wolves goalkeeper, who's actually now replaced Aaron Ramsdale in our team of the season. I think he's been really impressive. I think he's got the best save success rate of all goalkeepers in the league this season. Uh, and then it is Jared Bowen. And then we have Bakaya Sacco, Ward Prowse, who scored that outrageous free kick last week. Um, and then Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane and Kevin De Bruyne is number one. All of the top 10, their seasonal ratings are actually quite low, like based on the whole season. I think yeah. there's only two in the top 30, but I think so late... Poor starters to the season, but they're coming coming good now. Manchester United could sign one midfielder, Raj. They've been linked with John McGinn, so we'll discount him because we don't want that to happen. <laughs> Zakaria, Declan Rice. But one midfielder in world football. Realistic, I guess, Josh, we have to be. There was no uh, one yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah but realistic it's just, signing. It's, it's just from uh, the ones they've been heavily linked with, I guess. Unless you have your own suggestion. That's yeah. that. who, would, who would transform Manchester United's midfield? I think this also slightly depends on who their new manager will be. I'd probably, after Randit, that is. So, obviously, Poch and Ten Hag are the main contenders. If it's going to be a Pochettino United, I would definitely go for Declan Rice. I think he likes having that pivot sitting there in the middle of midfield. And I think I, I think this guy's actually quite underrated. You know, I, I quite like Fred as a player. I did used to question, why does Fred start for Brazil? And I started to watch a few Brazil games and he is quite suited to that dynamic box-to-box role, making all those ball recoveries, a bit like Kante, but he doesn't have that positional sense. Rice definitely does. So I think Fred plus Rice could be a brilliant combination and definitely something they look at if they get Pochettino. Maybe they'd go for a board, somebody with better passing ability if it was Ten Hag to come in. Maybe someone like Bruno Guimaraes at uh, Lyon, who's got a fantastic passing range. So yeah, th- those two would be the two names I'll be looking at. We don't really have a natural defensive midfielder. Nemanja Matic, if he was yeah. younger, would be per- would be perfect, but he's not, and he just can't get about the pitch. McTominay has M- actually been the top-rated player under Ralph Rangnick. He's, I think he's got three who scored Man of the Match awards across the nine games, but I do think that he's he's quite limited in what he does, and I think he has flashes where he sort of, he's like a bull in a china shop. He'll win a few duels, and then he'll dribble mm. past three players, um, but there are only like a few moments of that in the game where yeah. it's not really, a, it's not like a complete performance from him. Um, and I agree completely with Raj about Fred. I actually think he could be quality for Manchester United if he was banned from entering Manchester United's penalty area. I think there's, there's, are you talking defensively or offensively? D- d- defensively, yeah. No. There are so many instances, every single game of Fred, he'll do something which makes you think, wow, well, how's he done that? He never normally does that. And then he'll follow that up by doing something ridiculous like it happened in the Brentford game he ducked a header um a cross came in he ducked Brentford had a chance and then about a few seconds later he tried an overhead kick on the edge of the box which went about three yards and then they Brentford had another shot so it's those inconsistencies which make Manchester United fans a bit um bit nervy whenever Fred gets the ball around the penalty area um and so like some United fans absolutely loathe Fred they they constantly don't understand why he's picked over someone like Donny van der Beek but it's pretty simple that Fred does cover cover the ground really well and he's good at that mm-hmm. we've seen that in uh since Carrick's little stint as interim manager Fred in an advanced position works really nicely he does break up the play high up and um, there's little risk when he's on the ball there because if you do if he does lose it then there's still a long way to go for them to get to goal um but yeah 
I would agree with Rice that I think Declan Rice would be my overall my overall choice. I, I'm not convinced about Sakari. I think that's perhaps just more on their side trying to link Man United to him. Yeah. Um, Haidara as well. I'm, I think that's a transfer that has to happen now or it doesn't because Rangnick won't be in charge after this this window or the, after this season. Um, but yeah, but just going forward from, I don't think they're going to sign a midfielder this month. I just don't think there's enough nah. time. I don't think there's just, they're decisive enough to to make make a signing. Um, but the issue that Manchester United have is building attacks from the back with Fred and McTominay at the base because neither are comfortable receiving the ball um, with their facing their own goal and turning. Someone like Tony Cruz can do perfectly or players like that. So yeah, that, that's where Man United will come unstuck, I think, going forward. And Rangnick's very fortunate that he's not had to play one of the big teams so far this season. Yeah, Declan Rice would be a dream signing for Manchester United, but I think he's going to want to play Champions League football next season, so I don't see that one coming off <laughs> at all. Let's finish with some Bet Victor treble tips, Josh. We've got a Saturday 3pm treble. I'm going to have to try and remember what my leg of it is. So if you could say what who scores leg is, that would be a good start. Yeah, we've. well, I'll just say that we've done two trebles this weekend yeah. just because... I didn't know that. I was going to do the Sunday after, Josh. Sorry. Just yeah, because of the postponement. So you're so the who scored leg is, if I if I'm correct, I think, is we've gone for West Ham. Oh, we didn't do our predictions for that game. Oh no. I went for two on Manchester United. We've gone for two all in that game, so a draw. I think I went three two United. Three two. Goals, goals, goals. I love it when I pick you up for correcting me on something that I don't need correcting on, and then straight away you have to correct me on something that I do need correcting <laughs> on. So that's that's good. Um, yeah, so we've got a Saturday 3pm treble, which we'll start with, and then we'll then move on to the Sunday 3pm treble. Unlike your both of your tips, we've gone for West Ham double chance against Manchester United. So for them to either win or draw, based on Manchester United have only won three of their last eight at Old Trafford, and West Ham have already won there this season already. So that was our leg. I, th- I believe you've gone for Rafinha. Score? Rafinha anytime, yeah. yeah Le- gonna, Leeds are going to score some goals against Newcastle, let's face yeah. it, and, and Rafinha's scored- usually on the scene. Yeah, and he scored in his last two against Newcastle, which you knew. Absolutely. And he's obviously Leeds' top goal scorer. I think last weekend we saw um, just how amazing he is. His weight of pass for some of the chances and for Jack Harrison's, uh, one of his goals was amazing. I think he just looks like, to me, a ready-made Riyad Mahrez replacement at Manchester City. Um, mm. I think they're very similar similar players. Um, yeah, good shout. And although I did actually think that he would, might end up at Liverpool, but leaning towards... Mario's replacement there. Uh, I think the the last bit of the Saturday treble is Wolves to beat Brentford. Um, Wolves have 10 points from their last 12 available um, and only Norwich and Watford have lost more home games than Brentford this season. Uh, So that's been boosted from 9-1 to to 13-1 to um, by Bet Victor. Lovely. And the Sunday treble, I've gone for Leicester-Brighton, both teams to score draw. Yep. Brighton, obviously, the draw specialist in the Premier League this season. Uh, seven of their last eight draws have been score draws. Um, obviously, was the case in midweek. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we've got also got uh, Burnley plus 1.5, which means basically Ars- against Arsenal, which means basically Arsenal have to win by one goal. Um, as we said in the just a minute section, um, this recent games have been very tight between the two sides. The last five have only ever been separated, separated by more than one goal. Um, so, yeah, generally tight games. I think Raj predicted 2-1 and we went for 1-0. So that follows in keeping with that. And then the last one is uh, Roberto Firmino to score against Palace. He scored in four of his last five against the Eagles. Um, and is obviously guaranteed to start uh, this weekend because Mane and Salah are still away. 
and that's been boosted sorry from 18 to 1 to 21 to 1 and all of those tips can be found in the description obviously of this youtube video very generous from bet victor there that does us for this week's iteration of edge of the box thanks ever so much for joining us and thanks to raj for filling in for jonathan and josh for coming on board as well Please, please subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on if you are enjoying the podcast. Let's get those subscriber numbers up. Have a good weekend. Enjoy all the football. And as ever, stay safe. I'm still trying to think of players that play for Burnley and Arsenal. Frimpong just popped into my head, but I don't think he played for Burnley either.